Welcome to episode 20 of Jesus and the Meteorologists. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and I'm your host. Our subject is discernment, and our aim is to teach, to elevate your minds, and to exalt your courage, to accelerate and animate your industry and activity, and to excite in you an ambition to excel in every capacity, faculty, and virtue. Our mission is to inspire young men and women, and their parents, to understand the present in order to prepare for the future, a task that necessarily demands a proper interpretation of the past. Our aim is to highlight the antithesis between the way of the Lord and the ways of the world, between the truth of Scripture and the opinions of men, so that we might reflect the light of life in a culture of death. Wow, here we are at another milestone. We are up to episode 20 already, although if you include episode Christmas, our special Christmas episode is technically episode 21, so I think that deserves a couple of our special sounds to uh, celebrate. So let's let's call first for our goal horn, which is my favorite. And then we also have a laugh track. <laughs> I like that laugh track. Okay, kind of spooky too, though. <laughs> it's a little spooky. We're going to do something the way it ends. Yeah, we'll do something a little different today. I'm going to have a little more background before we get into our story. Um, I like to, since it's ten episodes since I have done any. Um, explanation, give a little background, never know when someone's going to be a new listener, and they might be curious about the title, Jesus and the Meteorologists. Those who listen to us regularly know that it draws its inspiration from Scripture, in particular the accounts found in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, where Jesus rebukes his accusers for their unbelief, calling them hypocrites for depending on God's revelation to predict the weather, while ignoring God's revelation to interpret the signs of the times. And as I've explained before, you can learn about that most especially in episodes one and two. From time to time, you will also hear me say that knowledge of God is inescapable and that the Christian worldview is the precondition for the intelligibility of anything. Unless you know the God of Scripture, you cannot know anything. And we elaborate on the meaning of this in the early episodes, among other places, demonstrating that everyone, despite what they may profess with their lips, knows the God of Scripture. Those who object, those who protest, can argue all the day long about the rejection of the triune God of Scripture, but in the end, despite what they say, they cannot, on their own worldview, justify what they say, think, or do unless the Bible is true. In fact, taking a position against the existence and lordship of Christ must first presuppose that the triune God is who he claims to be in the Bible. For when one argues about anything— That is, when you take a position and seek to distinguish and defend that position over and against another position, you must assume rationality. Yet the demands of rationality, which, by the way, are universal, they they apply to everyone, everywhere in the world, these universal demands of rationality cannot be justified or accounted for outside of a world created by God and held together according to the counsel of his will. And you know what else? Not only is the Word of God the only rational basis upon which anyone can make sense of his experiences or observations, but the Bible also tells us why the unbeliever pretends this is not the case. As we have often cited from Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 18, people suppress the truth in unrighteousness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. 
For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are, what? Without excuse. Without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their minds became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now then, having finished that little review, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, I'm going to invite our icebergs to examine a current event in order to discern the difference between real change and superficiality. You are listening to Jesus and the Meteorologists. So I wrote a little book all the way back in 2009 to address what was happening in America and what was likely to happen if we did not take corrective action. Unfortunately, too many of my predictions are coming true. The only surprise is the speed at which we have reached the precipice. The title of that little book is The Experts, and you can buy it on our webpage. Just go to JesusAndTheMeteorologist.com, click the image of the little brown book, and we'll send it to you for only $9.99. And then be sure to let me know what you think. Welcome back to Jesus and the Meteorologist, a weekly squidget for Penelope, devoted to the topic of discernment. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and I am your host, and I'm noticing I don't have your name tags here, so I hope I don't misidentify you by your real names. I'm joined in the studio, as I frequently am, by three icebergs whose stage names are... Penelope, Winnie, and Roger. So, Even though that's just my stage name. Yeah. I think it's your real name. You look like a Roger. Um, okay. <laughs> Why do I call you icebergs? I'm going to turn the question to you, actually. To me? <laughs> <laughs> to, to any of you. Why do we refer to you as icebergs without cheating and listening to prior episodes? Because we're not snowflakes. Okay. Not literal snowflakes? Is that what we're talking about? No, we're talking about... Um, we're not snowflakes in what we believe. We don't, we don't melt at the, uh, sorry, bits and pieces of what you said on, on every episode are floating around in my head, but they're not all like in the same order. Well, let's first talk about snowflakes. So we're not talking about literal snowflakes. We're talking about figurative snowflakes. And the snowflakes that we're talking about are those who occupy college campuses, large segment of social media, even young urban professionals. And what distinguishes or how, how are those snowflakes marked what are their characteristics wimpy wimpy how so um and this is wait. important because this this episode is about superficiality versus real mm -hmm. superficial change versus real change what is it about a snowflake on the surface well it's pretty it sparkles yeah very sparkly and pretty on the surface right I, that's undeniable but tell me about their character what happens when the sun comes out they melt how about yeah. if you how about if you shovel them? They break and mush. Yeah, they kind of yeah. compact yeah, mush. Lose right? their shape. And there's so Lose their many sparkle. of them. Okay. So that's Good the point. character of an of a snowflake. What's the character then? Distinguish that from an iceberg, which is by the way also made of similar properties, similar similar H2O. <laughs> similar chemical properties, right? But why is an iceberg different or how is an iceberg different? Because there's so much more of it that you don't see underneath the surface. Okay, that's a key part, right? You can see only part of it. Sometimes you can see a lot of it above mm -hmm. the surface, 
the Titanic hit a very large part, but you never see the larger part, which is beneath the surface, okay? And what what is it about that iceberg that made it, for example, so dangerous, Winnie, to the Titanic? Well, it's strong. It, like, doesn't move. If you hit it, like, opposed to a snowflake, it's going to stay where it is. Exactly. Immovable, right? So a lot of its character is hidden beneath the surface, and it's immovable. So that's the difference. That's why we came up with this um, context of icebergs, not snowflakes, looking at snowflakes in our culture and um, comparing them. Because an iceberg, your visible qualities are their match that you are on the surface— it doesn't mean that those characteristics don't exist. It just means that under the surface there is something else, an immovable, what we call integrity, below the surface. And um, snowflakes, on the other hand, while they're superficially pretty, are fragile, right, subject to melting and dissolution under the slightest rise in temperature. We've said frequently snowflakes may sparkle when left undisturbed, but they're no match for the titanic challenges of reality because icebergs— That's the line I was thinking of. Do you want to say it? Yeah, you just said it. Oh, I thought maybe you'd want to join me like the laugh track. All right. But icebergs, right, they can withstand the withering heat of attacks against their positions without losing the integrity of their condition or the courage of their convictions. Okay. Before we go into the weekly offices of hypothesis, let me first set the table. And um, this program is not about news. It, well, it's not news-centered, right? We use the news and we use the program as a platform discern, for discerning truth from the news. We do that by discerning the proper starting point for all things. And um, I'm going to ask my icebergs, what is the proper starting point for all things? The Bible. Okay. And can you partic- point to a particular verse? Not that it's the only verse, but I think it's a great starting point that we've referenced before here. Maybe Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord. <laughs> it's the beginning of all knowledge. Yes. The fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, right? It's not merely the end of knowledge, though it is, nor is it collateral in nature, right? It's not on the side. But if we're to discern what is true in any circumstance, we must, without exception, begin with the premise that the Word of God is the starting point for all things. Okay, with that in mind... I'm going to discuss an excerpt, I'm going to summarize it, from a recent story about T-cells from the Epic Times, dateline January 10th, 2022. The author of this Epic Times piece is a man by the name of Zachary Stieber. Apologies if I've mispronounced it. Maybe he pronounces it Stieber. Uh, By the way, before we go further, do you know what T-cells are? In, In all of the discussion of COVID over the last couple of years, there's been a, a pretty deep dialogue and a deep dive in a lot of periodicals and scientific journals about T-cells. Do you know what they are? Are Not exactly. Winnie? I'm afraid. You're afraid? (laughs) I I know a little bit, but not a ton. I don't know. Okay. T-cells are sometimes, they're called CD8 cells. They're produced by the body in response to a cold virus. Any cold virus, including coronaviruses, and not just COVID-19, which by the way is just one particular type of coronavirus. The T-cells are formed and they fend off infection or reinfection by new coronaviruses. Okay, so the story is compelling and intriguing because, number one, it comes out of the Imperial College of London. 
Now, if you know anything about the Imperial College of London, this was the first institution to fan the flames of fear about COVID, exaggerating its character as both novel and plague-like. They pushed for all of the lockdown, mask, and jabbing narratives all around the world, which we fought so hard to fight, or sorry, fought so hard to prevent over the past couple of years. So the reason this study is important is because even the Imperial College London has been forced to admit now that T-cells induced by the common cold coronaviruses do indeed play a very important protective role against SARS-CoV-2 infection and reinfection. So the study goes on to explain how this occurs, revealing, quote, these T-cells provide protection against infection by attacking proteins within the virus rather than merely the spike protein on its surface. So important, I'm going to repeat it. These T-cells provide protection against infection by attacking proteins within the virus rather than spike protein on its surface. Now, why is this so important? Because the vaccines, quote-unquote, created by Big Pharma, right, these experimental synthetic gene-altering mRNA therapy targets what is known as the spike protein, which only exists on the surface of a virus. So the much-vaunted vaccine, what we know in reality is an experimental synthetic gene-altering drug, even if you believed it was any benefit to the patient, does not attack the protein within the virus. Moreover, as the study reveals, antibodies that are synthetically induced by this vaccine, quote-unquote, causes greater mutation of the virus than the protective T-cells that are created by God. So to summarize, and then we'll get into discussion, as a result of this study by one of the leading advocates for the jab, we now know that the mRNA vaccine only attacks the spike protein on the surface of the virus, leaving untouched and to mutate faster the protein in the center of the virus, whereas the T-cells naturally created by God not only mutate far less, but they attack the heart of the matter. That is, the T-cells created by God for our protection go after the proteins in the middle of the cell where most of the danger resides, providing better protection against new infection. All right, with all of that in mind, now let's go into the... Offices of Hypothesis. And our hypothesis today is actually taking a sabbatical. <laughs> when he's looking at me like, what does that mean? I don't know. No. You know when you have a substitute teacher? What happens in class when you have a substitute teacher? Nothing. You do something fun. <laughs> Suggesting that your normal teacher is not fun. <laughs> yes. Well, it does a lot for homeschool. That means, yeah, who, who substitutes when your homeschool teacher is not there? I.e. Me. <laughs> Yourself. Yeah, maybe a sibling. Yourself. Yeah, a sibling. Siblings. So sometimes sabbatical. It's fun, sometimes it's not, though. So, but I remember growing up in a public school, whenever we would have a substitute, the students thought that gave them great leeway to do things differently than they would ever do in front of the real teacher. And they would try to trip up the teacher and suggest, oh, our teacher always says, you know, it's okay to open up the windows in the middle of winter. Or we go to lunch from 12 to 3, not just from 12 to 12.30. <laughs> or switch your names. Tell yes. the, te- tell the teacher uh, your just, names. Just mean things. And it you know, it depended on the character of the substitute. If it was someone they brought in at the last minute because the teacher took ill like 30 minutes before class, you had a lot better opportunity of taking advantage of that teacher. Whereas if it was someone who had been planned for a long time to come in, they were already prepared, they knew the lesson plan, they weren't just a, um, a warm body in there to keep the kids under control. 
Okay. But our hypothesis has taken a, a predetermined sabbatical. So substituting for our hypothesis today is an analysis. So it still ends in SIS. An analysis of hypalysis. <laughs> <laughs> no. But when we opened the episode, I hinted at uh, talking about the difference between real change and superficiality. So I'm going to ask you, icebergs, to analyze this study that we just discussed. And our listeners should know that I, I actually read the study to you or read a lot bigger elements of it prior to coming in the studio so you were prepared in order to tell us what it reveals two things about the difference between real change and superficiality and whether you see any parallels beyond the present scope of drugs and viruses and whatnot. So if we could have a clock, we'll start this discussion. Can I interject for a second? We could call wait, this... Wait, let me get the clock just a little bit more. Okay, good. I was going to say this, we could call this section the palaces of analysis. The palaces, I like that. <laughs> Write that down. The palaces of analysis. You right, can just say right. instead of entering the offices of hypothesis, we're going into a different room. The yes, palaces of analysis. I like that. I like that. Right. And I that get down. to be in this one this time. The pal yes. Palaces of analysis. Palaces of analysis. <laughs> All right. So, so analyze this story. What can you tell me about the difference between real change and superficiality? What is happening here? And are there any parallels in real life in society? Where else do we see this addressing problems from a super superficial basis? Can you give me examples? Well, if you look at, like I was saying earlier, our country's morals and how that affects how everyone acts, there's a big spike in crime, and the government solution to that is just pile more control and government control on top, but that really doesn't address the moral issue and why there's so much crime happening. Okay, and Edmund Burke had a statement, or he wrote something about this that addresses the heart of this matter. Does anyone remember? I'll give you a hint. Society cannot exist. Unless a controlling power upon will and appetite, appetite be placed somewhere, but the less of it there is within. There is within. The more there must be without. Men of intemperate minds cannot be free. Their passions forge their fetters. Right. Very good. And especially after just getting your braces tightened and you've got tight rubber bands on there. and So that's pretty good. So what Edmund Burke said was addressing what Winnie had said in a more formal sense, which is if you don't have the internal moral compass driving you to have virtue and to do good things based upon your personal beliefs, right, your values instituted by God and governed by God, then the only way to maintain peace and order in society is an external restraint. And that external restraint is the state, the government right? So when you don't address the real issue, the heart, then the superficial has to be addressed by a state. And that's more strict rules, the government always telling you what you can do, where you can go, what you have to wear, what you have to put into your body, right? Things of that nature. Okay. So that's a good example. Anyone else? Um, this is just kind of a cultural thing. The obsession with outward appearance over, well, this, uh, yeah, morals or you know, the character of your heart, even just a person's actions as as opposed to what, like, who they actually are or what they look like versus who they actually are. Okay, so let's break that down. <clears throat> Appearance clearly mm -hmm. has always been, especially if you're in a culture driven by Hollywood and movies and a visual stimulus, yeah. right? a society based on visual stimulus or driven by that. 
It doesn't mean that our faces and our looks and what we wear are not important, but in our society, they become of supreme importance, right? Rather than just the outward being the outward. And we know from Scripture that Jesus doesn't say the outward's not important, but he does say what's in the man's heart is much more important, Mm -hmm. right? How does that manifest itself then? What are the what are the effects on a society that only um, prioritizes the outside, the superficial, and doesn't prioritize the internal? If someone's character is not valued as much as their outward appearance, wouldn't it be more likely that they're willing to spend more time making their outward appearance look good instead of making their character good? Yeah, and it doesn't address the... You can you can put all the makeup on, you can change your clothes. It would extend to where you live, what your house looks like, your car, even to the friends you hang out with, right? Mm -hmm. All of those things are superficial, but if you don't change who you are inside, if you're you're not working on the moral compass, right, then all of that external not only doesn't address the real problems that that we face as a culture and address a person's individual problems, but they tend to exacerbate it because now you're not focusing on the center. Penelope, before we came to the studio, we talked about another one with respect to houses and cars. Can you remember those? If I sold you a car that had a really bad engine or or didn't even have an engine, but I said, look, we're going to paint it and we're going to polish it, put new wheels on it. It would look really good on the outside, but the car is meant for driving, not just for looking at, so couldn't use it at all. And so there would be no point to it. It'd be a waste. And what about, we made reference to that house in It's a Wonderful Life, mm-hmm. where, um, why am I George, forgetting? George Bailey. Bailey. Yeah, George Bailey, <clears throat> right? Gets married, and they go uh, on their honeymoon to this house that, what's his wife's name? Mary. Mary. Oh, Mary, <laughs> Mary <of course>. Bailey. <laughs> and um, she loves it. She says it's full of character, but it's got a leaky roof, and the windows are broken, Part of which were broken the because banister they, they is threw broken. rocks. The banister yeah. little knob that always falls off. Mm-hmm. Right, and so so I suggested, well, that you could fix the whole house, couldn't you, if you just put a nice fresh coat of paint on it? No. <laughs> <laughs> it might no. look pretty on the outside, but it wouldn't be able to live in. Right. Yeah, it, that house needs a lot more than a paint job, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It needs foundation repair. It needs new windows, new insulation. It needs a new roof because of the leaks. Might be a little chilly and damp. Okay, so yeah, not to mention the paint cobwebs. would probably get probably never quite dry, right? Be kind of tacky because all the wood is like you know soaked up, all and soggy. lumpy, not smooth. Yeah, but doesn't our society tend to focus on the superficial and not the real? Mm-hmm. Yes, right? definitely. So, don't you find it interesting that that is also intended or not that this is also the result of these much vaunted quote unquote vaccines? that they're actually attacking the spike pr- proteins only, which exist only on the surface, and they're not getting to the heart of the matter. What do you think about that? Yeah, and it's interesting that the natural proteins that you get from just having a cold, because everyone gets a cold, actually work much better and even like a thousand times better than what man has made. Yeah, I, th- I think the conclusion is that whatever one may hope it to be, the jab, the shot, the, the quote-unquote vaccine at best is a superficial response to only the superficial aspects of the problem. Mm-hmm. 
Only God can provide real change. Only God's remedy for anything gets beneath the surface to the heart of the matter. In this case, attacking the proteins within the virus rather than the spike protein on its surface. So I found it fitting, right? Fitting to learn that the reason the world's proclaimed solution to the virus has failed, because we know there's been quote-unquote breakthrough infections, which is total vaccine failure. The reason this has failed is because the world has, consistent with everything else the world does, addressed only what is, and in this case, literally, on the surface. And yet they refuse to believe that, you know, their vaccines aren't working, and they still tell you to get them, even though it's, they obviously yeah, don't work. They're the same people who always claim that they rely on science to determine what their next step is going to be. And, you know, part of science is, or the main part of science is that you fail, but they're not accepting their failures, which I think there's more behind the surface, as I believe you guys all do. But instead of accepting, oh, okay, this vaccine has failed, what can we change if their actual goal is to make it work? Instead, they're just saying, no, this must be, this must be the only solution. That's not science. It's kind of stunning the stubbornness, too. Um, by the time this recording runs, it's going to be a few weeks down the road. But today, the day we're recording this, a study came out of Israel. You know, Israel has the highest cases of COVID of anywhere else in the world today. And yet they are they were even deemed by Pfizer, the drug company, as the gold standard, a laboratory experiment, because Israel now totally... <laughs> Four times jab now. 80% of the population has gotten the shot four times. They wear masks. They have vaccine passports. You know, they had big lockdowns. And yet they are the most, their society um, is most overcome with and the virus has gone most rampant in that. And yet they're talking about more. At what point do they cry mercy and say, we have failed, this doesn't work, right? There's such a stubbornness and a rebellion there. All right, let's go to break. And when we return, I will attempt to answer a few more questions about today's topic. This is Jesus and the Meteorologists. There are citizens in Tennessee working to reclaim the practice of self-governance in our state and ensure that a constitutional Republican form of government is preserved to future generations. We are Tennessee Stands. Do you want to get off the sidelines and learn how to stand for liberty in your community? Join us at TennesseeStands.org and on social media at Tennessee Stands. Welcome back to Jesus and the Meteorologist. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and I am still your host. If you would like to call into the program to participate on a future episode, Please email your request to questions at icebergsnotsnowflakes.com. Okay, so a question of the week was a question that we discussed prior to coming in here that... What? I'm looking across the table. Why is everyone giggling? I'm not. What? All right, why are Winnie and Roger giggling? I don't know. Roger said something. I couldn't understand it. (laughs) Wait, you couldn't understand it, but it still made you laugh? Yeah, that's why I laughed. (laughs) Wow. You know, it's funny. My wife... There was a time once in my life when I thought I was having a heart attack and my wife was laughing. <clears throat> it turns I out I was that. not having a heart attack, but she was laughing. I think that deserves a laugh She track. was laughing. Yeah, All right, laugh one track laugh track. track. 
Thanks. I'm not it having a heart attack. That is actually really spooky sounding. I, I want to sa- save that for, um, well, I'm forgetting his stage name. <laughs> All right. So here's a good, an important discussion point. Talking about the difference between superficiality and real. Uh, a lot of people, this might be news to some people, but you can research it. Um, do your own research and and um, come back to me if you have any follow-up questions. But there has been in our culture for a number of years now a big push every October to end breast cancer, right? So on the surface, superficially, seems like a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. We end, try to end or try to bring an end to a particular form of cancer. The problem is... If we dig a little bit deeper, number one, most of that uh, breast cancer awareness is advocated by an organization called Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood has a long history of association with, in fact, they are the biggest proponents of what? Abortions. Abortion. Do you know the link between abortion and breast cancer? There is. There's a, there's an, there's a scientifically... It, the, the the evidence is kind of overwhelming, the connection between abortion and breast cancer. It doesn't mean that everyone who has breast cancer has had an abortion, but there's a very large number of people who have had abortions who end up getting breast cancer, right? But Planned Parenthood, of course, does not want to get to the heart of the problem. And the people who are donating money to and wearing pink clothes and NFL players wear pink shoes and pink shoelaces and all of that, uh, pink sneakers, pink sneakers. <laughs> Um, they, they'll give money to the cause without getting to the heart of the matter and addressing the heart of the matter, um, which is very difficult for them, of course, because they are in favor of infanticide. They're in favor of killing their babies. Um, and yet on the surface, they like to talk about how uh, they are against uh, breast cancer. And yet if they really wanted to make a difference in breast cancer, then they would get to the heart of the matter, which in many cases, is an abortion. So, by the way, there's also links between birth control and breast cancer as well. So these are things that make people uncomfortable to talk about. Uh, They are definite links, and they demonstrate the difference between superficiality and real change. And I was listening to a sermon yesterday that was actually recorded in the early 90s by a pastor who was explaining how even then he was bothered by the fact that so many pastors try to diminish the important topics, the doctrines of Scripture, even going so far as to suggest that you could vote away the doctrine of hell, right? You have a, you have a council of churches that get together and decide, we're not going to preach on the doctrine of hell anymore because it makes them uncomfortable in a, in a, in a society today that doesn't want to hear bad things. I, I only raise that to bring up one point. His point was that if the gospel is not offensive, we'll never get change. We'll never have change in people's hearts. The hope of the gospel is because it's offensive, right? If we come to people and just offer um, superficial superficial words to superficial problems, while it may seem to be smoothing over the problems and smoothing over the difficulties, because it's not causing any real change, it is ultimately going to be to our demise. So the discomfort that comes through the offense of the gospel is what leads ultimately to our salvation. And that's why it's so important to have all of these discussions. All right, so we probably can't end with a laugh track after that, so we'll just go out to our normal ending. That's all the time we have today, ladies and gentlemen. 
Thanks again to our icebergs, our producer Rachel, and to all of our listeners and supporters. In the never-ending battle for hearts and minds, we aim to find and develop young men and women who, like the men of Issachar, understand the times and who know what to do. And how can we know what we're to do unless we believe what is true? My name is Kevin Cookagee, and you have been listening to Jesus and the Meteorologists. Meteorologists.